Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. All right, well, we are continuing in our study through the book of Proverbs, verse by verse, trekking our way through it. And we currently find ourselves in Proverbs 3. If you're using a pew Bible, it's page 529. Okay, and we'll be at the latter half of the chapter in just a minute. Um, we're continuing to go through, as I mentioned uh, in previous weeks, uh, looking at each letter from the Father to the Son, words of wisdom that He has for His Son. Um, historically, Solomon writing to Rehoboam when he takes over, when he is to take over the throne. Just a brief synopsis of each one. Um, If you were to kind of categorize or give a one-line description of each letter thus far, I think it's maybe fair to do it this way. The first letter was urging his son to pursue wisdom. The second letter was explaining how he can do that. And then the third letter was why he should do that. If you remember the last one we looked at was six benefits to wisdom. Why he should pursue wisdom. So now we're on letter number four. The fourth letter from the Father to the Son, which is the last half of chapter three, specifically verses 21 through 35. Proverbs 3, 21 through 35. And we're not going to read it all Um, in its entirety from the offset, and then go back and walk through it one by one as we normally would. Instead, we're just going to walk through it and stopping occasionally to talk a little bit, okay? The the breakdown, if you're a note taker, the breakdown to this fourth letter, uh, the way at least I break it down, is that really the letter is comprised of seven, (laughs) so I've got a seven-point sermon, Seven do not commands. Do not fill in the blank. Seven of them. I kind of see this this letter um, from the Father to the Son. Um, what comes to mind, at least, is like a like a parent sending their child off to college, and just really quickly rattling off as they're like walking away and they don't really want to listen. They just want to get to the college campus and they're just walking away and the parent, usually the mom, is just, and and don't forget, you know, and just giving so many different things uh, or reminders, right? Remember, don't, don't stay out late. Don't fall behind in your studies. Don't pick the wrong crowd. Don't forget to call. Right? All these kinds of, don't, commands. Well, the Father gives seven of them here to the Son. And so, as we walk through these, I, there's really no artsy way of walking through them other than just walking through them one by one. I'm very non-creative <laughs> in that way. And so, so what we're going to do, there's really no structure other than just looking at each individual command that do not commands. And, uh, and, and my hope is, for you and for me, is that we would just glean from them um, practical wisdom in living a godly life. 
that we would that we would o- obey and trust and trust and obey and uh, truly live that out according to what Proverbs 3 has to say in this fourth letter from the Father. And so are you ready to walk through them with me? This is a this is what we see first, um, the first two commands, the first two do not commands, um, are about really trusting God. They're about trusting God personally. So the first one is do not lose wisdom or discernment. Don't turn away from God's wisdom or discernment in your life. You need to trust in these things. Let me read verses 21 through 24. My son, do not lose sight of these Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. We'll stop there before we get to the second do not command. The first one really has a lot to do with just trusting God's Word. At face value and just just obeying it. Hearing it, trusting it, obeying it at face value. Do not walk away from or stray from the Word of God. Personally, in your own life. And he actually describes God's wisdom and the sound wisdom and discretion that we get from God. Like adornments on, on your neck. And actually, he, he gives this same description um, multiple other places, uh, if you want to flip there, it's not going to be on the screen, but uh, if you want to flip in your, your own copy of God's Word, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 9. I'll start in verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teachings, for they are a graceful garland for your head and a pendant for your neck. And again, he does it in chapter 4. We won't go there. but So this is a, a common description of the wisdom of God for his people. Uh, this, this jewelry kind of imagery. Which is then to convey beauty on you. It's beautiful when God's people wear his wisdom. It's a beautiful thing. And actually, it's appealing to the eye as people would see you. It, it stands out as people would look at the way you live They'd say, wow, there's something different about that guy. Something is unique about that girl. Right? It's, it's an adornment when we would wear the wisdom of God. I heard a story one time of a, a woman who had met Charles Spurgeon. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I don't know if you know. He's a preacher from the 1800s. Nicknamed the Prince of Preachers. Um, arguably top three, top four preachers known to man. I mean, just, just apparently incredible at expositing the Word of God. And uh, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's been said that a woman, when she was asked, what was he like? Because she had met him. Uh, what, what was he like? And she said, well, he was, <laughs> I don't know the exact wording, but basically she said he's fairly ugly, (laughs) Um, not an attractive man, Uh, but yet the most beautiful soul that she's ever seen. And I think that's really what the Father's talking about here, just, uh, you know, the wearing the wisdom of God and, and, and embodying the wisdom of God in your own life brings with it 
a beauty that you can't have otherwise. I think there's a lesson in that. There's a beauty from living for God that tends to be overlooked, right? And we tend to spend our time working to enhance the wrong beauty, right? Looking in front of the mirror too much rather than in the Word of God, which brings about it a more beautiful beauty. And so the Father's first command is do not lose wisdom or discernment, but trust His Word. The second do not command is do not be afraid. And I think that's rooted in as you trust God's Word. As you trust His Word, as you lean on His Word, don't be afraid. You have nothing to be afraid of. Let me read verses 25 and 26. He says, Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Trust His Word. And as you do, you don't need to be afraid. Trust Him. Obey Him. Notice that the first command speaks to trusting God's wisdom. This command speaks to trusting God's protection. As we trust His wisdom... As we go the road that He has called us to go down, we can trust that it's a good road for us. And as we trust His wisdom, we can trust His protection and His provision. I think a a really common New Testament image for this would be the disciples on the boat, right? You're just reading verses 25 and 26. Do not be afraid for sudden terror of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. This this image immediately takes me to the disciples on the boat, frantic for their life. Right? Just needing to trust Jesus and His protection for them. I also think of our, our friends Jake and Taylor, and I know... You all have been incredible in praying for them, but just the fear and the, the, the anxiety that a parent would feel whenever their, their child's health and, and even life is threatened or jeopardized by sickness. And I remember when we were just in the hospital with them and we were just present and just trying to be there, um, Taylor was just so strong. She was just, you know, she has to be you know, the tough mama for, for her baby, um, but Though she was incredibly tough and stepping up to the challenge, you could still tell her chin was quivering and the tears were coming and there was no fighting back those. She was anxious for her, for her child. And still, it has just blown me away the confidence they've had in God's goodness and provisions for them. It never wavered. Though they certainly were faced but with sudden terror, uh, it was a witness to me. It was a witness to me to see their, their confidence in Him who will keep their foot from being caught. Amazing. So God is our reassurance. He will keep us. And this is true even with final judgment, right? He will keep us from that. I would say even especially with final judgment. Notice it says when it comes. The ruin of the wicked when it comes. Not the ruin of the wicked if it comes. He's talking about the ruin of the wicked when it comes. Which it will come. He will keep you. 
and he will preserve you. Our God is a reliable God. Our God is a God we can have confidence in. So he says, don't lose sight of God's words. Trust it and don't be afraid because you're trusting it. The first two commands really speak to our personal trust in God. The, the last three, four, five, six, seven, five, <laughs> the last five commands speak to not trusting God, but rather displaying God, I think. The first two speak to trusting God personally. The last five speak to displaying God corporately or relationally. Ultimately, we display the goodness of God by, by being good ourselves to people who are watching, to those who are around us, to those who are in the community. As we are good, we display a good God that we serve. This is really what the last five commands have to do with. So, um, command number three. That's what we're on. Command number three. Do not deny doing good. Do not deny doing good to someone. We see this in verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. I don't know how well this will hit on um, all of you, but uh, I can't help but share the theological wisdom from Spider-Man. With great power comes great responsibility. (laughs) At least I think that's original Spider-Man. Maybe not. (laughs) But it's true. With great power or ability or capability comes the responsibility to do something for somebody's behalf. Right? And I think that's really the heart behind uh, Serve Bethany. The the event that we just had. That's, I think, the heart behind that. God has blessed us with the abilities, with skills, with, not me so much, but, you know, I and Kaylee and those kinds of, he's blessed us with abilities and so we should We shouldn't harbor those, but rather bless others with those. We should not withhold doing good for individuals. We see this all throughout the New Testament. James 2, you won't see it on the screen, but James 2.16, if we say, go in peace, be warmed and filled, but we don't give them what they need, what good is that? Right? 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift from God, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So as He graces you, be a good steward of that by blessing others with what He has graced you with. And as we do, I think, think about this, this reflects our God, doesn't it? Right? We reflect our God when we do for people what we are able to do for them. Our God was able to provide salvation. He's the only one able to provide salvation. And so He does for sinners. He does not deny that, but rather He blesses sinners with what He alone is able to provide. And so may we also provide what we are able to provide and in in so doing, display a good God. Command number four, do not delay in doing good for someone. It's verse 28. He says, do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow. I'll have it and I will give it when you have it with you. 
So that's the image. This, you have what they need. They've, you've got it right there. And instead of giving it, you say, hey, come back tomorrow. I'll give it to you then. The fourth command is do not delay in doing good for someone. Notice here, this is coupled with the one before it. The previous command in verse 27 speaks to what we should do, right? We should do good. This command is about when we should do it as soon as we can. You see, it's wrong to it's wrong to outright deny help when we're able to provide it. But it's also wrong to drag our feet when we don't need to. You see? Think about um, whenever we were at a, a different church. Uh, we were tearing down Sarah and I. With me being on staff, we're obviously most immediately involved in the setup and teardown of any event going on in the church. And um, I remember we had this really large event, 500 people, uh, big event that we put on. And so we were tearing down and there was just so many tables, so many chairs that we had to tear down, clean up, wipe down, you know, and, and store. And, uh, and it was like 11 o'clock at night, if not later. And we are wiping tables, putting tables up on their side, you know, folding the legs in and rolling them down, and um, my wife is doing that with these giant tables uh, while there were six, seven, eight grown men <laughs> standing in a circle talking, and she would just say, excuse me, and she would just wheel the, the table right by them, and then, uh, and it was right at the very tail end, maybe <laughs> five or six tables left, and they're like, hey, you need some help? <laughs> yeah, that'd be great, <laughs> yeah. It's wrong to deny doing good, and it's wrong to delay in doing good if you don't need to. I think that's the point here. And again, in quickening to do good, we reflect our God, don't we? For He does not delay. He does not delay to come and care for and respond to the needs of His people. We can display God's goodness to people as we do good and as we are quickened to do good. Command number five. See, five of seven. I'm doing pretty good here. Command number five. Do not plan to wrong another. Do not plan to wrong another. Verse 29, he says, Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not plan to wrong another. Again, I think this is coupled with the one before it. <laughs> I really do. Notice the previous one was about being late to do good. This one is about planning ahead to do evil. Both are wrong. It's wrong to be late in doing good, and it's wrong to be planning ahead to do evil. So this is the image that the father gives here. It's a neighbor who lowers his guard with you. All right, so we'll contextualize this a little bit because it says he dwells trustingly beside you, the neighbor does. So let's contextualize this for you and I, right? Let's think about this. It's like the neighbor leaves his front door unlocked and then he goes across the street and he tells you that he's going to be out of town for the next five days. 
Right? He drops his guard. He dwells trustingly beside you. Or he, or he leaves his windows down in his car with the keys on the dash. Right? Just a good Midwestern guy. Right? <laughs> and the command here is don't take advantage of their trust. Don't take advantage of that. Right? When someone entrusts you with their belongings, don't hope that they're going to forget so that you can keep it. Right? Don't plan to keep it and just keep it from them because they're trusting you with it. When someone opens up about their sin that they're struggling with, they let their guard down, they dwell trustingly with you, they embrace fellowship with you, and they just open up about sin that they're struggling with. The father here is saying, don't look to run and gossip about it the first chance you get, or at all. Don't plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Sixth command. Do not create conflict with another for no reason. It's verse 30. He says, do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Now, my, uh, my friends who are maybe passive, non-confrontational, notice that he doesn't say, never contend with a man. Right? It is a command for the Christian to contend at times, to confront at times. And that's hard. It's uncomfortable. But the command is not, do not ever contend with a man. Rather, he says, don't contend without good reason. Or, if he's done you no wrong. In other words, do not create conflict for no reason. Romans 12:18 says if it is possible so far as it depends on you live peaceably with all. So yes, there are times when we need to stand up for our faith, when we need to contend for our faith, yet when at all possible live peaceably amongst everybody. Right? This is the father's wisdom for his son. And in doing this, I think we reflect our God. Again, because is it not the heart of God who desires fellowship with all people? He desires that all men might be saved. God desires that. He doesn't desire unnecessary contention. He desires fellowship with all people. And that then makes us have to think as his people, do I also desire fellowship with all people? A very weighty question to ask. In a world with much prejudice, do I desire fellowship and union with all men? Our God does. Our God does. So he says, do not create conflict with another for no reason. That's the sixth command. 
We display God's goodness by being good, but also we display God's holiness when we remain holy in front of other people. Not only we display his goodness when we're good, but we display his holiness when we are holy in front of other people. This is the seventh command. Do not desire to be like evil people. Do not desire to be like evil people. This is verses 31 and 32. Do not envy a man of violence. It's like desiring to be like the man of violence. Do not choose any of his ways, for the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. Notice here, he's not speaking of doing what the evil person does. He's speaking of desiring what he does. Not doing desiring. In other words, he's speaking to a heart problem, not a hands problem. Right? This is a lesson we need to learn and I think we need to preserve in the church today because it's being attacked. The lesson is this, that sin which stays in your head and in your heart are just as real as sins that make it out to the hands. They're just as real and just as deadly. There's this belief out there that as long as it stays in your heart and in your head, it's good. Fair game. It's really when it becomes destructive to society when you're doing it with your hands that it really becomes sin. No, 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 no. God's speaking to the heart here, not just the hands. So let's, let's apply that, right? Sexually, to the sexual ethic. It is not just sin to act unfaithfully. It is sin to fantasize and think unfaithfully. It's sins of the heart and head. Let's think about parenting, right? It's not just being harsh with your kids that is wrong. It's thinking negatively about your kids that would be wrong. Let's think about church members. It's not just slandering and gossiping about others that is wrong. It's even thinking hateful thoughts about them that is wrong. The Father is speaking here about desire, not doing. So these are the seven commands that he gives. And then he really concludes with the last three verses, verses 33 through 35. Let me read them now. He says, the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked. This is kind of a conclusion here. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace kind of summarize it very quickly basically he's saying there's a lot on the line here there's a lot on the line between the two paths there is a lot on the line one road would lead to wickedness and curse scorn and disgrace the other road blessing and righteousness favor and honor there is a lot on the line when it comes to following the word of God or not much is on the line. And nothing's changed from then to now, right? 
This is true today just as it was then. There are two roads that are incredibly different at their endpoints. Right? At one time, there was only one road available to mankind, and it's that cursed road of disgrace because all men are sinful. There was only one road. But the gospel is this, that God cut through the brush, he plowed through all of that, and he paved the way for an, for an alternative path of blessing and honor. Only God can pave that, and he did. And there's two paths with massively different endpoints. It's true just today as those words were then. So may we choose the path of righteousness. That's really, I think, the Father's desire. That's my desire for you, is that we would choose the path of righteousness. Still, (laughs) that's easier said than done. There's a lot of commands in there. And it's not easy, is it? Think about it. Always follow God's wisdom. I'm going to summarize all seven now. Always follow God's wisdom. Never be afraid. Always do good. And while you're at it, always be prompt in doing good. Never wrong someone or create unnecessary conflict. Never even desire or crave that which other people do that you shouldn't do. Easy, right? Just never do any of that. Okay. Class dismissed. <laughs> it's a lot of commands. And that's when I think we need to remember this. This is key to understanding Proverbs in light of Christ. There are a lot of commands in Proverbs, and they're impossible to do perfectly. We need to remember that Rehoboam couldn't follow his father's words of wisdom perfectly. He couldn't. He didn't. We can't live up to the standard of God either, right? Romans 3, all have fallen short. These are a lot of hard commands. The only son who can obey his father's words perfectly is Jesus Christ. And so this is... This is I think our takeaway from reading these really difficult commands and so many commands, this is our takeaway, that we should strive to follow God's commands the best we can, right? Strive to do that. Strive to always do good and always be quick to do good. Strive to not envy what evil people do, right? We should strive to do all these things the best we can because we know God's commands are his desires for us, right? And if they're God's desires for you, then shouldn't we want to do them and work hard at doing them? And so those commands, those aren't just, well, Christ did that for me, throw them to the side. No, it's, I'm going to really work hard. I'm going to really work hard to do good for people around me. I'm going to really work hard at doing that quickly not delaying. I'm going to really work hard at these things. We should strive, but at the end of the day, we need to trust that it's only in Jesus's finished work on the cross that makes you acceptable before God because he alone does it perfectly for you. So strive to do it, but not so that you would be saved, but rather because you are saved. And it's a way of saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that I am saved. 
You can't be perfect. You never will be on your own strength. But we can certainly thank God that he is perfect for us. And that's how I think we take away these really hard commands from the Father in the book of Proverbs. Amen? Let me pray for us before we sing our last song here. Would you join me in prayer? Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com. 